Good morning. It's good to see everyone here this morning. If you're a visitor, I count you, hope you count yourself as welcome. Welcome back anytime you have the opportunity to meet with us. I hope I have something to say that might inspire you in the ministry of God today. That's what my subject is really about, is ministering uh, the ministry of God. You know, Yancey said it was about Paul, which it is. But it's about Paul's ministry to the church. You know, Paul is a very interesting character in the Bible. Because I don't think there's anybody that did a complete 180 about as much as Paul did. I don't think there's anybody that started out one way and just did a complete 180 the way that Paul did in his story. Now, there may have been other people, but we don't have that recorded, their story in the Bible. There may be other people I might be more amazed at the 180 they pulled. But as far as what we have in the Bible, this guy is the most amazing 180 I have ever seen. And not only was he the most amazing 180, he was in it heart, soul, and mind on both sides. He was at the top on both sides of this argument. So we're going to talk about Paul's ministry to the church today. I know when the elders gave this to me, they thought this could be an easy sermon. But when you start looking in Paul's ministry, you can basically look at the entire last half of Acts and get it taken care of. We're not going to go into all that this morning. Maybe some of you guys might have a story out of Acts you might want to give for a application this afternoon. But I'm going to concentrate on what he says in Colossians. I'm going to give you a brief history this morning. I'm going to show you kind of about what his missionary journeys were about. But then we're going to really st- stick on what he says in, about his ministry in Colossians. Because that's what we're studying in the book of Colossians. So I'm really not going to go back into Acts all that much. But there's a lot of things on Paul's ministry in the Bible. He's probably the most major character in the New Testament besides Jesus himself. He's the one we hear the most about besides Jesus. As a matter of fact, when the demons were cast out in Acts, one of them says, they were passed out by two men that probably shouldn't have been trying to cast out demons. They came out of the man and goes, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? And then they beat the tar out of the guy and sent him running. So the demons even knew who Paul was. Paul was a major figure in the New Testament church. And I don't think it was just by happenstance that he became that way. I think God had a plan for him and Paul fulfilled that plan. And we're going to look into that this after, this morning. Now when we first look at Paul, there, there's some history I want to get across about Paul. Because it's just so interesting. I mean, this is probably the most interesting character I've ever done a character study on. And I've done a couple of character studies, but this guy is very interesting. He was born in Tarsus, a Roman province, which, is, which would be located today in modern-day Turkey. It was mainly a Roman and Greek province. There was a big mixture of Roman and Greeks. He was born Jewish there. There was a, a small influx of Jews there at the time. When he was born, he was born a Roman citizen. Now, this was something that, that was a big deal. Romans just, just did not give citizenship to anybody. If you were not a natural-born Roman, Roman out of Italy, it was pretty hard for you to get citizenship. You had to contribute something to their empire, whether it be money, whether it be some sort of invention. So maybe his parents were kind of well off. I don't know. The Bible really doesn't tell us. But we do know he was a Roman citizen, so his family had to have some sort of influence in the Roman society there. And he used his Roman citizenship in his defenses because it was illegal for them to beat Roman citizens without cause. Now, they could get it done if they could find cause, but just for somebody speaking, that was not a cause to be beaten for a Roman citizen. You had to have concrete evidence with witnesses. So he used that in his defense a lot, that, hey, I'm a Roman citizen as well as a Jew. 
Because Romans were really, really good at judging their own people. They gave them, their own people a really fair shot. If you were an outsider of Rome, you didn't get a real fair shot in the judge system. If somebody accused you of it, you probably were going to be found guilty of it. But if they found out you were a Roman, they really minded their P's and Q's about how they treated you. Sometime in his early life, in his adolescence, he left Tarsus and went to Jerusalem. And when he got to Jerusalem, he was trained under a Jewish leader of the day known as Gamaliel. Now, if you know any history of the church at this time, Gamaliel was one of the brightest Jewish leaders of the day. He's the guy that everybody would want to be trained by. He was up there. You know, whenever Paul was talking to the people in his letters, he goes, when they were talking about being found to be content with their law, being content in the law. He goes, I'm a Jew above all Jews. I was circumcised the eighth day. I trained under the feet of Gamaliel. And whenever he said he trained under the feet of Gamaliel, that meant something. That wasn't just something he threw around out there. That meant something. That was something somebody people knew. That wasn't just some other Jewish guy out there that maybe people didn't know about. Everybody knew Gamaliel. And everybody knew how he was considered by the Jews. Not only that, he was trained as a tent maker. He had, a, he had an occupation where he was trained as a tent maker. So he had training in both religious and a secular job. So if times were hard, he can go back to tent making if he wanted to. He had that training. Now about the time he was with Gamaliel, as far as most historians I've found on the matter says, that's when he really started getting this dislike for this Christian movement. Because he thought they were heretics. He thought they were blasphemers. Nobody can be God. So, he started finding a way to squash this out. He goes, how can I take care of this problem? He wasn't thinking, how can I take care of this problem for me? He thought that's what God wanted him to do. He thought these people were heretics. And according to the old law, if you claimed to be God, you were stoned. If you claim to teach, draw other people away from their God, you were stoned in the, by the old law. So then we get to the story of Stephen. Stephen, sermon. I'm not going to be able to go into the sermon, but it was a pretty hard-hitting sermon. He used some language in there that probably ruffled a lot of feathers. And when the people were mad, they gnashed their teeth and they plugged their ears and they stomped on him. And then they stoned him. What's interesting is whenever they laid the clothes down, they laid them down at a young man named Saul's feet. He was the one that consented to the stoning of Stephen. He's the one that said, yes, this guy's teaching you something wrong. It needs to happen. That's what it meant when they laid their clothes down. That means they got approval from this man to do this. So evidently, Paul has some stature in the Jewish community then, even though he was known as Saul at that time. Well, Saul wasn't content just to be in Jerusalem taking care of this Christian problem. So he went to the high priest and he said, you know what, I could really take care of this problem if you give me letters to Damascus where I can go in there and arrest anybody that I find that claims that they're a Christian or a follower of Christ. And the high priest gives him these letters. So Paul's on his way to Damascus and suddenly a bright light appears to him. And he falls down blind. And he said, who is it? And Jesus says, it is Jesus Christ whom you persecute. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. 
as the old King James says. And then Jesus commands him to go into the city and somebody will come in there and tell him what he needs to know. Well, then the Lord appears to Ananias in chapter 9 of Acts. And he says, Ananias, I need you to go into the city and look for a street that is called Straight. And whenever you go in there, inquire about a man named Saul, for he, he is praying. And Ananias goes, Lord, I know about this guy. If you read in Acts, it says that Paul, Saul made havoc of the church. He was known. People knew what Saul was there to do. He goes, I know this guy. He's been beating and throwing people into prison in Jerusalem. I know this guy. Why would I want to go do this? And then in verse 15, But the Lord said unto him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to hear my name, to bear my name before the Gentiles. Kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. That's something else that's interesting. Jesus called Paul directly. He goes, he's a chosen vessel unto me. You know what I believe Jesus saw there? He saw a zeal, a great zeal. It was just being put to use the wrong way. He saw somebody that once he got his heart into it, could turn the world upside down. He saw, whenever he saw Saul, he saw somebody that he could change, make a difference in life, and then he could make a difference in everybody else's life. Well, Ananias goes to Saul, and Saul's baptized. Not only is he baptized, though, he becomes one of the greatest ministers the work has ever known. This man traveled. If you look up here, we got several different lines. The purple is the first journey, the Green is the second journey, and the blue is the third missionary journey. This man went above and beyond the call of duty, I believe. This man was out there doing it. Especially in a time where travel wasn't as easy as it is today. And if you look, the light green line even shows his voyage back to Rome. He, he put some travel time in. He worked. Not only did he do this ministry, he wrote letters the churches. 13 of the 27 books in the New Testament is accredited to Paul's writing. And there's a dispute on Hebrews. Some people say it was Paul. Some people say it wasn't. We really don't know. But if that was Paul, that's 14 of 27. His ministry just wasn't him going around teaching. He wrote letters checking up on people. He wrote letters telling them what they needed to know. You know, whenever I started really sitting down and thinking this, I'm like, how did Paul have time for anything else? I mean, really? Doing all these missionary journeys, writing half the New Testament? He was committed. That's what Jesus saw in him when he said, he's a chosen vessel to me. He's committed to the work. And he'll do the work that I ask him to do. So Paul becomes a minister. He was a minister of God. You know, sometimes I think that, con- that word... We use it in a negative connotation. Because we think about the one-man preacher system. But that's not what a minister is. A minister is someone who serves God, basically. That's, when you boil it all down, that's what it comes down to. is somebody that's a servant of God. And ministers unto his church. Serves, serves his church. That's what it comes down to. There's a lot of big fancy definitions that we can go into that the world proclaims as a minister today. But when you boil it all down, that's what it basically comes down to. 
In Colossians 1 and verse 25 says, Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but has now been revealed to his saints. Not only was he a minister, he got stewardship from God. But he was given stewardship from God for the church. Not for himself, but for you, for the church. To fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and generation, but now has been revealed to the saints. He says, I'm here to reveal something to you that has been hidden from the ages, but now it's time to be revealed. That's what he's saying. He goes, that's what I'm here for. I'm a minister of God, and that's what I do. I teach the mystery of God that, w- that is now ready to be revealed. If you look in 1 Thessalonians in chapter 2 and starting in verse 4, he goes a little bit more in depth on this. He uses kind of the same language in the beginning. He goes, but as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak not pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness. God is witness. That's what he says. I have been approved by God and entrusted with the gospel. Now, that's kind of an odd word, entrusted. That means God trusted him to say what God wanted him to say. Because if you read down further, it says, we did not use flattering, we did not speak flattering as pleasing to men. Flattering is the way the old King James, sorry, I'm used to quoting out the old King James. The new King James says, we did not speak as pleasing men. You know what that means? We didn't say things God, men wanted to hear. We didn't say things that were easy for men to hear. We didn't say things just because men wanted them hear, to hear it that way. We didn't say it because we wanted to say it that way. We said it because that's what God told us to say. This didn't come from me. I'm not speaking just because I, that's what I want to do. This is what God told me to say. And I'm not going to say something just because that's what you want to hear. But I'm going to say what God wants you to hear. You know, when you start doing that, it can ruffle a lot of feathers. Because people don't want to hear, hey, you're wrong. That's not how we should treat people. This this isn't how you should be saved. This isn't how this goes. When you start telling people they're wrong, it doesn't make them happy. And when you start teaching about a new kingdom, back in the Roman Empire, that got you killed. Because nobody threatened to overthrow the Roman Empire and lived. But they weren't doing it to please men. They were doing it to please God. You know, sometimes I think in today's country we get so wrapped up that we're a Christian nation. Which, in part, we are. I agree with that. And I believe we ought to try to keep it that way. But if this nation turns into a non-Christian nation, is that going to affect us any? Or are we going to still teach what God wants us to teach, regardless of what the nation tells us? You know, gay marriage is a big thing right now. But how, how is that really going to affect us? Are we still going to teach against it? You know, the Roman Empire was not the most Christian nation in the world at the time. They did, they did things that would... I don't know how any human being could do to another. But yet people still stood up and said, no, that's wrong. Regardless of what the government did. 
You know, Brother Brent Benoit at the Brotherhood meeting gave an elegant speech about that, about how things changed when people started to stand up. It wasn't the government that was standing up and saying, this is wrong. It was everyday people that were standing up and saying, no, this isn't how it needs to be done. God wants it to be done a different way. He taught despite suffering. You know, in Acts 9, whenever the Lord's talking to Ananias, he says, I'm going to show him what great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Paul sure did suffer. I'll tell you that right now. If you look in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 24, Now I rejoice in my suffering for you, and fill it up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. Paul suffered. Not only did he suffer, he suffered a great deal. Now, I don't know if he suffered any more than anybody else. I just know his are recorded in the Bible for us to see what he suffered. You know what's kind of ironic, I guess, if you want to say ironic? If you want to think anything's ironic? You know what happened to Paul whenever he was preaching the word? He was preaching the word and they decided to stone him. And they did, they stoned him. Now, he ended up not being dead. But they stoned him for the same reason he had Stephen stoned. He was teaching about Jesus and they didn't like that. So they went and said, okay, we're going to take care of this right now. We're going to go ahead and stone him. Now, it didn't end up killing him, but he was stoned. He was beaten and put in prison. He was shipwrecked. I mean, this guy went through it. Not only that, the reason he was put in prison, is if you look on one of his missionary journeys, he's going through Philippi. And he's teaching and he's preaching. There's a woman that has a demon in her that's following going, heart the voice of the Lord, heart the voice of the Lord. And it was getting on his nerves, really. But there was a couple of guys there that were using this woman because she was a soothsayer and they were using her to make money. And whenever he cast the demon out of her, well, there goes their meal ticket. So they go to the Roman authorities and say, this guy's teaching things he doesn't need to be teaching. So they beat him and they put him in jail in Philippi. But do you know what came out of that? That's where we get the story of the Philippian jailer. You know, when Paul and Barnabas were praying at night and the, all the shackles were loosed and the prison bars were opened. And the guard was going to kill himself because he knew what the punishment was for losing his prisoners. And Paul says, do thyself no harm, we're all here. God used that as an opportunity for Paul to teach the gospel to somebody. Out of the most dire circumstances of being beat, beaten and put in prison, you wouldn't think God could use that for anything, but God used that to convert a soul. Not only that soul, but all of his house was converted. But because Paul was beaten and put in jail because of what he was preaching. And Paul said, I rejoice in this. What is there to rejoice about suffering? Why would I rejoice in suffering? Because he was doing it for the body of Christ. He was doing it that way other people could come to Christ and be saved like he was. He wasn't selfish. He didn't think, oh, how is this going to affect me? Whenever I start teaching this, how is it going to affect me? What bad things could happen to me? He was thinking, 
Even though I'm suffering because the people are hearing the Word of God. People who are lost and don't have hope are hearing the Word of God and having hope now. And I rejoice at the fact that the Word of the Lord is going out. Regardless of what it costs me. Paul taught everyone. You know, in Acts 9, again, whenever he was, when God was talking to Ananias, he said, he's going to teach Gentiles, he's going to teach kings, and he's going to teach the nation of Israel. And you know what? Paul taught all three of those. Plus some. You know, that was a very radical idea at the time. Jews thought the Gentiles were the dirtiest people in the world and had no business being in church with them, being able to be saved with them. We're the nation of Israel. We're God's people. Who are these heathens that God's bringing into us? You know, even there in Colossians, when in Colossians 1, it says, we teach every man and warn every man. That doesn't leave anybody out. Whenever Tosh talking about his ministry, he goes, we teach and we warn every man. And then the verse before that, he says, even the Gentiles. He even uses the Gentiles by name because he knew that was a problem with the Jewish people. In Colossians there, chapter 1. So do we take every opportunity? Or are we kind of prejudging the situation here? You know what aggravates me more than anything else? Is when somebody says, I'm giving up because nobody wants to hear. Nobody wants to hear what I have to say. Nobody wants the truth. Well then, what you don't understand is what Paul understood. It's my job to teach. It's up to them whether they believe or not. It's not my job to make people believe. I cannot force anybody to believe that I, that doesn't want to. My job is to give them the opportunity. That's what my job is. That's what Paul's job was. You think Paul had bad days where people didn't want to listen to him and people stoned <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty bad day right there. When there are the people that only want to believe you, but they want to stone you too? <laughs> that's a pretty rough day. I've been with my dad a lot. We, we came out one time and we were knocking doors whenever we were working with the uh, church over in McKinney and out in Princeton. And we knocked on a door in McKinney. I don't know how much this guy was just wanting to shock us or if he actually believed what he said. But we left a fire on his door because he didn't answer the door. Well, when he came out, he came out giving the hook'em sign and he goes, Hell, Satan! And I'm like, wow. <laughs> That's kind of an odd reaction. I've never heard that one before. That kind of affected me for a while. I'm like, wow. Because I'd never seen anything like that. I was a 15, 16-year-old kid. I'm like, Wow. People are not always going to react the way you want them to react to God. It's not your job to tell them how to react. It's your job to show them the way. It's their job to figure it out for themselves after that. Don't get discouraged when people don't want to listen to you. I'm sure there were people that didn't want to listen to Paul. People didn't want to listen to Peter. People who didn't want to listen to Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, name anybody. Apollos. I'm sure there were people that really didn't want to listen. But the difference is, they didn't give up. 
They didn't say, well, nobody wants to hear it. I'm just going to give up. That's not the way to be. And we don't need to prejudge people either. You know, Paul went to the homeless of society and he went to the royalty of society and everywhere in between. That's what God calls us to do. There is no certain class, certain race, certain demographic, let's put it that way, that God's interested in. He's interested in everybody. And that's what Paul did all the way down to the beggar on the street side, all the way up to the king in the palace. Paul taught them all. Now, in Colossians chapter 2, and starting in verse 2, in verse 1 he says, As for those in Laodicea and and yourselves, I have not seen you all in the flesh. But he had a hope for Colossae. And in that, in verse 2 he says, That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all the riches of the full assurance of the understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of the wisdom and knowledge. That's what Paul's ministry was about. That's what he wanted for Colossians. That's what he wanted for everybody he ministered to. Was that their hearts may be encouraged, they might be knitted together. And you know, whenever Yancey was talking about Colossi, and he talked about the yarn and the red yarn they were known for, they knew what knitted together meant. He said, I want y'all to be knitted together like that in love. And attaining to all the riches of the full assurance of the understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ. He wanted them to understand what God and Christ wanted them to do. And he wanted them to understand all the mysteries. And that's what he set out to do. Now, are we ever going to know all the reasons God does things? No, we're not. God says some things are hidden for a reason. That only the Father knows. But what we do know is the way we come to Jesus. The plan of salvation, we know that. We know what God expects for us after we become a member of His kingdom. We know that. And when we can reveal that to people and encourage them and bring them in knitted in love, that's what ministry is all about. It's not about making myself feel like, oh, I'm so great. You know, there was a time in the New Testament when men were coming saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Peter, I'm of Apollos. What, is Christ divided? They weren't doing this for their own recognition. They were doing this for the body of Christ. And if we're doing it for any other reason, we need to examine ourselves. Because it's not about what Jeremy can get out of this. It's not about people thinking Jeremy is a great speaker. It's not about people thinking Jeremy really knows his stuff. It's not people thinking, man, Jeremy's really smart. He really knows how to explain that. It's not about that. It's about bringing them into the fold of God. That's what it's about. It's not about anything on my part. It's not about anything on your part. I'm just a human just like everybody else. Preachers are just human just like everybody else. It's not about what they get out of it. We do it for God. We do it for His people. And we do it that they may be encouraged and be knit together. That's the reason you teach. To edify, to exhort. Exhort, encourage, edify. 
That's why we do it. And we do it regardless of the cost. You know, that's easy to say. Uh, yeah, I'd do it if people were wanting to show me. Yeah, I'd still speak up for Christ. That's easy to say whenever it's not happening. You know, it was really easy for Peter to say before Jesus was hanging on the cross, I am ready to go with you unto death. It's really easy to say. But as the old saying is, do we put our money where our mouth is? <laughs> when it's time to do that, can we really step up and do it? And I don't think that's a question that can really be answered until we're called to do that. I believe I would like to think, yeah, I'd do it. Yeah, sure. I'll stand up. I'll stand up for Jesus as we sang this morning. I'll stand up for him. But would I really? You know, it's really kind of easy to answer that right now. Sure, I would. But whenever the Roman soldier's holding a sword to your head going, do you believe in Jesus? That's a different story, isn't it? Because that's what happened to Paul eventually. Eventually his teachings got him killed. And history has it that he was beheaded in Rome. I'm not sure exactly if that's the case. But that's what history has taught us. That he was beheaded in Rome. And even when he was in prison, he was not discouraged. You know how I know this? You know where the book of Colossians was written? When Paul was in prison. Now, there's arguments whether he was a house arrest or whether it was actually in a prison. I, I really don't think that really matters. If you're confined anywhere, that can discourage anybody. If you lose your freedom, that can discourage anybody. But it didn't discourage Paul. He wrote several letters while he was in prison. And he was able to say at the end of the, at the, end of the way, I have kept the course, I have kept the faith, I have fought a good fight. And he did. He, so to speak, put his money where his mouth was. And he was eventually executed for Christ. But in Colossians chapter 2, he also gives a warning for the church that's going to go into what he talks about later in the book, which I'm not going to get into today. I'm sure we have others assigned to talk about it. But in Colossians 2 and verse 4, Now this I say, lest any one of you should deceive, should deceive you with persuasive words. He's going, the reason I'm writing this thing is so you do not get deceived. You do not get deceived by the wolves in sheep's clothing. You know what God says. You know what God wants you to do. That's the reason I'm doing this. You are not deceived. That's the reason Paul wrote the book of Colossians. He didn't want, not want them to be deceived by somebody telling them the persuasive words. He wanted them to know what God had for them to do and what God said for them to do. Now this is the verse where my part ends. Somebody will pick up on this and talk about the persuasive words that people were using in Colossae to deceive people. As a matter of fact, I think Matt and Dusty have part of that, I'm sure, coming up. But after this lesson, we have some questions we have to ask ourselves. Number one, do I teach despite my suffering? You know, it's not very popular in America today to be a Christian and stand up for it. People want to believe everybody's okay. It's not a popular thing. We've seen what's happened with Chick-fil-A and Duck, the guys from Duck Dynasty when they spoke out. It wasn't well received. 
But do we teach despite that? Or do I teach what God wants or do, do I teach what I want? You know, I, got, I know God really wants me to teach it this way, but it's really not going to work out for me very well, so I'm going to teach it this way. And you know where that, where that leads you? We're all going to the same place. We're all just going different ways. That's where that leads to. Because I don't want to teach it the way God wants it taught, so I'm going to teach it this way. And then before long, it's all convoluted down to where, oh, we're all going to the same place. It's just a matter of how we get there. Do I teach things that people want to hear? You know, there's things people want, don't like to hear about what God has to say. They like to hear, oh yeah, you're doing all right. You're just fine the way you are. You don't need to change a thing. You're just fine the way you are. God will accept you just the way you are. That's what people want to hear. They don't want to hear God expects you to change. God expects you to be a different kind of person. God expects you to be a loving, kind person. He expects you to obey when He says obey. He expects you to do what He says and He expects you not to do what He doesn't tell you to do. They don't want to hear that. They want it to be kind of like Burger King. You remember that? Have it your way whenever they had that big commercial. Have it your way. However you want it, just have it. It's fine. As long as you're trying, that's all God wants. Just have it your way. Or do we teach what God wants to teach? Paul taught despite his suffering, and he taught what God wanted, not what men wanted. That was an example for us. Now, it's up to us to whether we teach what God wants us to teach or we teach what man wants us to teach. Because it might be a little bit more comfortable for me down here if I teach it a different way. Do I take every opportunity to teach everyone? You know, I talk about Paul. I don't know how he had time for anything else. I believe Paul was the kind of guy, if you struck up a conversation, it would eventually lead back to Jesus somehow. Are we that kind of person? Or if we have an opportunity to talk, we're going to talk about Jesus? Or is it, well, that, sub, that subject, you know, there's three things you don't talk about in America. Religion and politics are the main two. You don't talk about religion and politics. We'll be able to just offends them. Or do we work every opportunity we have talk to somebody about Christ and what Christ can do for them and what Christ has already done for them if they'll take advantage of it. Or do we like to stay in our comfort zone? I like everybody to like me. I don't want to ruffle any feathers. I just want to sit back here and be friends with everybody. We'll all be happy and then we'll all be happy going to hell is what's going to happen that way. We may be happy here, but it's not going to be for a happy eternity. If nobody teaches what God once taught... It's not going to be a very happy eternity. So we need to take those opportunities to teach to everyone, despite their wealth, despite their race. You know, back in the day that this was written, Colossians was written, it was the Gentiles that were the punching bag of the Jewish society. Today it might be easy for some uh, nation like us to say, well, they're Islamic. I'm not going to teach them a thing after what happened on 9-11 and after I was having to go into Afghanistan. And after we went into Afghanistan, we sent some missionaries over and they were arrested because they had Christian paraphernalia. And we're just not going to teach those people. Can't you see that happening? Can't you see that happening? Well, if they don't like us, why would we go talk to them? 
But yet, Paul stood before a man that decided whether he lived or died. And you know what he said? He didn't say anything about save my life. He didn't say anything about, I want to keep living. He talked to him about Jesus. That's what he talked to him about. Every king he went before, defending himself, he talked about Jesus. He didn't say, I just want to save my life. I'll do whatever you want me to do. He talked about Jesus. And he taught them Jesus. That's what we need to do. And finally, am I on the lookout for false teachers? Are you on the lookout for that? Because Paul gave a warning that it's going to happen in Colossians. And it can happen here too. We have elders here that way we could probably circumnavigate some of it and head it off at the pass, so to speak. But are we on the lookout for false teachers? Because we need to be. Because there are going to be people that want to teach what man wants you to do rather than what God wants you to do. It's going to happen. You can strike up a conversation with somebody at work and they're going to teach you what man would have taught rather than what God would have taught. Are you on the lookout for that? Are you defending yourself against that? Are you studying your Bible knowing what God would have you to say? You know, sometimes I think we think of this Bible as a great book, which it is. But it's only a great book if you use it. How, good, how well would this letter to the Colossians have been to them if they never read it? How would it have helped them? If they never read it and they go, well, we're just going to put it up here on a shelf and let it look nice. How much good would the, the brethren at Colossi gotten out of that letter if they never read it? But they, we expect to get it from osmosis, I guess. Oh, I have it there on my coffee table because it really looks nice sitting there, but I never really open it. Or I have that app on my phone because I know I'm a Christian. I know I'm supposed to have a Bible on my phone, but I never open it and look at it. Oh, I get these notifications that, oh, well, all you have to do is read five minutes a day and in a year you can have almost all the Bible read, but I just close them and ignore them because I have other things i got to do. And that the other day, I had a notification from my Bible app. Oh, if you read this much in this day, I'm like, okay, well, close. I'll get to that later. <laughs> I got somebody I have to call. I got business to do. But it, didn't, it doesn't do you any good unless you use it. And you're not going to know if somebody's teaching you something false. Unless you know what God actually says. Now, this is where I was going to close when I finished up my lesson last night. But I don't. There's something I don't want to leave here without getting across. There is much more to the ministry than just teaching. I don't want the, anybody to feel that oh, I have to teach to be an active member of the ministry. That's not what I'm saying here. Paul was a teacher, so that's what we focused on was Paul today. That's what my assignment was today was to focus on Paul, and Paul was a teacher. And I taught you what Paul said about teaching. But there are many, many other areas where you could help in the ministry if you don't feel comfortable teaching. Because the Bible itself says not all are teachers. We know that. If you don't feel comfortable teaching, I don't want you to feel like you have to teach to be accepted by God. That's not what I'm saying today. What I am saying today, if you do teach and you are teaching, you need to teach what God wants taught and not what man wants taught. And believe it or not, even if you don't say a word, you're teaching every day of your life. People look at you and they know, hey, that guy goes to church over there. And they're looking at your example and they're saying, does that match up to what I know a Christian should be or does it not? But I don't want anybody to leave here feeling, well, 
I feel useless in the ministry of God because I'm not teaching anyone. That's not a requirement to help in the, in the ministry of God. But I would encourage you to do this. If you do not feel comfortable teaching, get with the elders and ask them an area where you can get involved in. Because there are other areas in the ministry where you can be involved. And you can put your heart into it just like Paul put his heart into teaching. And you can turn the world upside down with God without ever teaching a lesson or doing a study. But you've got to be willing to take that part. Because there are many other parts of the ministry. I don't want to leave here today people going, well, I'm useless to the ministry because I don't teach. And that's just not the case. I would never want anybody to feel that way. But if you do teach, we need to pay attention to what we teach. Make sure my thoughts and my think so's don't come across. Make sure we're teaching what God wants taught. And make sure we teach it to everyone, not just the select few we think deserve it. And finally, teach despite the suffering. Minister despite the suffering. Because Paul left us that example about what Christ expected from his ministers. And yes, I'm calling us ministers today. We are ministers of God. If you are a Christian today, you are a minister of God. You are a servant of God. And it's time we, sometimes it's, I think we need to act like it. Sometimes I think, myself included, I need to act more like I'm a minister of God than I'm a minister of Jeremy. I don't need to serve myself so much and serve God more. So with that being said, teach despite any suffering you have. Teach what God wants you to teach. Teach it to everyone and beware of false prophets. And that was Paul's warning from the last half of chapter 1 through the first part of chapter 2 in Colossians. And I think that's every bit as applicable today as it was then. Teach the truth. Teach it to everyone. Teach it despite what you suffer. And watch out for false prophets. And that's my automation to you today. If we can help you, won't you come as we stand and sing?